Today's episode of Transform Your Workplace is brought to you by Zenium HR. Learn more about Zenium's complete HR plus payroll solution at zeniumhr.com. Well, today's episode features a couple of guests, which is always fun. Chris Sheasley is a returning guest, and we brought on Claire Fowler as well. They're both of Accord. They're located in Portland, Oregon, and they specialize in conflict resolution and mediation. They've been a longtime partner of Zeniums, and it's always great to just catch up with them and talk about conflict and how it's going. Well, since we have the last couple of years during the pandemic, a lot of us have adapted to virtual. So video calls and just less face-to-face interactions and more digital communication. So I asked, like, how has this changed the way we're communicating? Are relationships better, worse? Is dealing with conflict, is it harder? Is it easier? What can we do to avoid it? So we just catch up on kind of the state of conflict resolution and what we as leaders and managers can do to make sure we're building relationships and we're not making these conflicts worse than they have to be. So you're going to get a lot out of this episode. I know I did always learn something new when I talk to Chris, especially, but it was great having Claire on as well. Make sure to connect with them. All the links to their social media is in the show notes and the blog. And make sure to connect with me. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'd love to connect with you there. Enjoy today's episode and we'll talk to you next Tuesday. All right, welcome to Transform Your Workplace. It's Brandon Laws. I'm with Chris Sheasley and Claire Fowler. Thank you both for being on the podcast. It's great to have you. Great to be here. Thank you, Brandon. Absolutely. Thank you. So these last few years have been absolutely insane when it comes to the pandemic. Uh, relationships have been a little challenging in, in these workplaces that are often doing hybrid or fully remote. So with so much changes and disruption in the workplaces, what issues and trends are you seeing when it comes to conflict resolution and workplace conflict in general? What are you seeing? So what I have mostly seen over the last couple of years was that in the first year, most people said, oh, I'm just going to wait on these issues until we get back to -to face-to-face. And then a lot of people said, well, I think these issues will go away as soon as we're face-to-face. And then suddenly people were face-to-face. And what do you know? (laughs) those issues were still there. And all of these things that people hadn't dealt with over the last couple of years, not only hadn't they gone away, but a lot of them had gotten worse. So at first we saw this resurgence where everyone came back to working face-to-face. And then they started to say, gosh, this is actually pretty hard. And so we saw about 25%, about a quarter of the workforce said, actually, I think I'd rather go home. And then we also saw that there was insurgence in people saying, okay, I've realized this isn't going away. I just have to deal with this problem. And this was something that the International Ombuds Association reported that over the last about six months, there was a huge increase in the number of cases that were reported. All of these conflicts that, again, had just sat there latent for a couple of years, people said, fine, I'm going to deal with this. I've realized it's not going anywhere. But what's so interesting is that now they're also starting to report a huge increase in morale as well. 
So it's fantastic to see that, yes, there's a large number of cases that are being reported, but because they're being dealt with, people are starting to notice that this anxiety and this ongoing pressure is starting to get off their shoulders. And so people are starting to enjoy working face-to-face again. Has there been a big shift in terms of people wanting to deal with the the conflict or whatever may be going on? Is there a big difference between before where maybe conflict wasn't dealt with and now people are like, I don't want to have this hanging out. I need to deal with it now. Is it any different? Right. I really think so. So I'd like to take this one first. And then Chris, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I think that yes, people are starting to deal with conflict more than they were a couple of years ago, simply because the last couple of years have made us so aware of the importance of our mental health that we realized, gosh, if we don't pay attention to it, our mental health actually does start to deteriorate. If we let all of this junk sit on our shoulders, then it does start to weigh us down. And so with the increased understanding of protecting our mental health and taking long-term steps towards solving problems, I do feel like it has led to an increase in people saying, you know what, I'm not willing to let this destroy my life anymore. I want to deal with this because I deserve that. So yeah, I have seen more people dealing with issues now than than I did before. Again, that's my perspective, but I'm just one. Chris, I'd love to hear yours. Sure. I think uh, one of the things we all learned through the pandemic and the challenges that everybody's been going through is just to humanize each other more and to uh, take that time to check in with each other. And I know a lot of management training in the last couple of years has been check in with your employees, ask them how they're doing, see what they're experiencing and and, uh, try to build a relationship with them, which is even harder to do with us all being remote and only kind of tiptoeing back into face-to-face. So I think that has really impacted conflict in the sense that managers have a chance now to get ahead of it a little bit more, to really uh, have that more in-depth conversation with their employees to find out what's really going on and to actually listen to what they say rather than kind of just prescribe a solution and move on to the next issue or to design the next widget. You got to take the time now on the relationship side of it. And that's that's an important l- lesson that we've all learned in the last couple of years. If you look at the workplace pre-pandemic versus what you're seeing now has the volume of conflict in, in the workplace, especially when it gets to your level, when you're you're really helping employers and, and managers through a sticky conflict situation. But are you seeing a volume difference in this, this modern world that we're in? Right. Well, I would say along with everybody else, there was this kind of at the edge of the cliff when we everything was just in suspended animation right at the very beginning of the pandemic and uh, nothing happened for a while. But uh, eventually, once people kind of caught their breath and realized the new reality, I would say that conflict became a bit more acute. And just like Claire said, at the beginning, there was a sense that, oh, we don't really have to deal with it because now I don't have to face this other person. I can avoid them. Uh, but really conflict doesn't go away magically. Like, of course, we all know that email is a classic example of where conflict can become exacerbated because of what we read into the tone and the intent and all of that. And that's always a big mantra in conflict resolution is what was the person's actual intent versus the impact they're having. And so that dynamic plays out even more in this era that we're in now. It's always interesting when it comes to the digital communication tools, the the stories we make up in our heads about what the other person intended to to say. Uh, it's you're reading reading into an email or a live chat, and it's like, are they mad at me? What did I do wrong? <laughs> I don't know if that goes through your head as well, but it's sometimes I've thought we could make a full time uh, living here at Inaccord just by dealing with the conflicts that come out of email. One hundred percent. Yeah. How are the 
issues of diversity, equity, inclusion showing up when it comes to conflict resolution at work? Yeah. Um, at least what I have started to see is that there, there has been more of an understanding that that we need to be more diverse about diversity, um, that there needs to be more of an appreciation for not just different demographic backgrounds and different cultures, but also an appreciation for neurodiversity, different approaches, people who excel in qualitative versus quantitative approaches. And, and I think that that's fantastic. That also means that it brings its own set of challenges, right? Whenever you're working with someone who's a little bit different than you, it takes a little while to understand how your strengths and weaknesses can play off of each other. I'm so grateful that a lot of workplaces are also understanding the importance of bringing in conflict resolver early on before these team dynamics can get set in a bad way, right? Or in a manipulative or a power imbalance way. But as, um, as we have a variety of people that are starting to work with each other and workplaces that are actively um, seeking out a variety of people, I think it's more important than ever to bring someone in early on to say, hey, this is great. We have different strengths and weaknesses and backgrounds and approaches. Let's help you figure out how to play off each other's strengths and appreciate each other. I would say, too, on diverse equity and inclusion, that there, there are more voices demanding to be heard. And that's a good thing. And it's also creating more confrontation. You know, there's people are more empowered to share their concerns, to raise issues. And so really, that's probably the most dramatic thing we've seen in the last few years is, is people's willingness to raise the issues and, frankly, others' willingness to hear those concerns. And that's not always an easy conversation to have, obviously. And so that's been something that we've seen dramatically different than before. And it leads to, when it comes to us then, there's a request often for mediators of color. There's also a request that we be willing to consider more of an advocacy, or at least the idea that it's not a level playing field and that mediators always pride themselves on, we create a, an atmosphere that's a level, a level playing field where there's equal power. I mean, this is kind of the propaganda, the, the overstatement of the issue. None of that's really true. But anyway, in mediation, our role is to help both sides hear each other, to humanize each other. And that's quite powerful. And I think it can add to this conversation about DEI that's uh, become such a part of our culture now. How have, uh, and just in this era of a lot of emphasis on DE&I, uh, and even just with this online era, how have your service, you help with conflict resolution. So how have you adapted what, what you're doing with this DEI space and even with remote work in this online era, so to speak? When I first got into this field about 20 years ago, I was young and I was female and those characteristics were not appreciated. And I hid my picture and I was very clear on my website that it was just Dr. Fowler and I didn't say anything about when or where I had graduated. I didn't have anything personal. And because at the time, I think the power imbalance in mediation was such that they wanted the mediator to have all the power, right? People looked up to them like they were a judge, somebody who was going to make the decision. And I think that's really changed. I think now the clients are expecting to be empowered, right? They're expecting to have what's unique about them be valued and understood. And they're not looking for a mediator to come in with a ton of power and make a decision. Instead, they're looking for a mediator that they can relate to. And so at least in my own practice, I have become much more open about this is who I am and this is what interests me. And hey, I hope we can find something to connect on. And I hope that I can find something about you that I find interesting. And I've really seen that with clients that what they're looking for is someone who can get what is unique about their identity and someone who can help to empower and lift up 
that part of their identity. And that that's more the end result of a mediation now, that that unique part of them, that what is interesting about their values has been understood and lifted up and protected, as opposed to some powerful third party coming in and helping them make a decision. When it comes to this world we're in, where most workplaces are in a hybrid work environment, unless they obviously have to have their people in person for whatever production, manufacturing, something like that. But a lot of these professional services, they are going hybrid or even fully remote. So what are the advantages or disadvantages from your standpoint when it comes to resolving some of these issues that people may have? I'm going to take the disadvantages <laughs> side of this first because uh, historically all of our work at Intercord had been face-to-face and kind of that interpersonal relationship building that happens when you're in kind of physical proximity to other people. Uh, Claire was an earlier adopter of online and kind of Zoom type mediation, so I'll let her take the advantages side. And I always like bad news first anyway. So anyway, for us, uh, you just imagine that this, we're talking about relationship building and helping people understand each other and that uh, the kind of contact and connection that can happen when we're in real time and in, in real space with people. Then all the subtleties about facial expressions and just all the things people have struggled with globally about kind of having a more online Zoom type interaction with each other and, and the things that we've lost as a result of that. And what I can say about the transference of that to the online environment is that it's not actually as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> like it's been encouraging to find that we can actually have very successful sessions and help people build relationship in, the, in this forum. So Claire, why don't you pick it up from there and talk about some of the advantages of the online? Sure. Thank you. So what we found is that one of the key requirements for people to be able to resolve a conflict is they need to be creative, right? They need to be able to generate a solution. If not, it's the mediator generating a solution. And then we know that's not a very durable agreement. So we need people to be creative. And just the way that our brain chemistry works is if there's a high amount of anxiety, then we cannot be creative, right? It's like an acid and a base, like those two chemicals just can't coexist in our brain. And so anything that we can do as mediators to help reduce that anxiety helps them to be able to be more creative. And so that's one of the big benefits that I've seen about people being online is that when you're in your jammies, you're just not as anxious, right? I so agree. (laughs) Yeah. When you're sitting in a safe space, when I know what the exit is, when I know that I can take a break whenever I need to, I know that I can turn my video off if it feels like it's becoming too invasive. All of those things have helped people to reduce their anxiety, which helps them to just simply be more engaged and be a little bit more creative in the process. The downside that Chris already mentioned, and I I think it's important, and I just want to add to that, uh, there's this Latin concept, horror vacui. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but it's roughly horror vacui, which essentially means nature abhors a vacuum. So whenever there isn't enough information, our brain fills it in, right? And the way that our brain is, it tries to protect us. And so it's typically going to generate the worst case scenario. What Chris was saying earlier, email is often misconstrued because if we don't have enough information, our brain is going to fill that in with, well, they probably meant this, or they probably thought this about you. And we're going to jump to the worst case scenario. When we're online, we just don't have as much information about people, right? We don't have as much context. Whenever there's confusion, our brain is going to default to what's the worst case scenario here. And so I think our workaround for that as mediators 
is just name as much as we can see, right? Provide as much information as we can. Okay, I see this happening, or I wonder if this is going on. And we meet with clients more often in breakout rooms. And I've just found that I have to be much more communicative and descriptive in an online environment so that people don't start going into that place where they don't have information. So they're jumping to conclusions and they're they're slipping into that worst case scenario. One of the pieces of information I think is so valuable about being in person is body language. And I feel like we're so missing that in the digital world. Is there anything you recommend or have you seen people, I don't know, adapt to that environment a little bit better? I mean, that's one of the things that I always like to see in people is like, are they, what are they doing with their hands, their feet? Are they disengaged? Are they engaged? And you're missing that when you're just seeing head on a screen. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think we need to try to meet with people more often. So move into breakout rooms, move into direct messages, have more private conversations. But there's nothing that mimics that feeling of true connectivity. And the way that we can often get to that online is through designing something together, being creative together, playing together. So something as simple as let's do a quick poll or let's share a whiteboard, or let's draw out together. What does the space look like? Okay, here's your cubicle, and where's the other person's cubicle? And we're creating something together. Then it's easy to see in the person's face that they're completely engaged. If I don't have that moment of true connectivity, then I think as a mediator, I have to stop and shift gears, right? I can tell what I'm doing isn't working, and we're just not connecting. Since I have two great conflict resolution experts, I want to pick your brain on how, um, you know, for listeners, how, how can we avoid some of this stuff in our workplace and how can we even be aware of things that may be bubbling up? So, I mean, in your experience, what are some typical personality traits or styles that tend to exacerbate some of these problems that we might experience in the workplace when it comes to conflict? I think one of the things we look for when we're assessing a case for kind of suitability for mediation, one of the key things we're exploring is self-awareness. That's For me, that's become the one of the key attributes of somebody who is a viable candidate for the kind of work that we do. And sure, when we're in conflict, me, you, everybody feels like you're a victim, that the other side is to blame, that they've done something to you, they're a bad person, et cetera. So we all kind of start off in that place, which is fine. But eventually you have to be able to get to a point where you recognize okay, maybe I have a little bit of a a stake in this. I I might only have 20%, and then the other person has 80%, but it's, you know, 20% is my blame. Uh, Anyway, that's one of the things that we really kind of try to ferret out when we're working with potential clients for our processes. Can they recognize that they've contributed in some way to this dynamic? And, uh, And we get there gently and slowly, but eventually we need to hear something that gives us an indication that they recognize that they, they have some culpability in the conflict. So the inability to do that, frankly, becomes for me a red flag and some of those cases we choose not to pursue further. Uh, so that, that's one attribute that I would look for. Yeah, that's great, Chris. I, I completely agree. And I think if we can do that, right, if we can help people with, with self-awareness and understand their contribution, then we're not just helping with the immediate problem, right? But we're helping to prevent it from returning because chances are, even if you resolve this symptom, if the deeper issues are still there and people don't realize their contribution to it, then it's going to come back again, which might be great on one hand for job security, but in terms of overall, like helping the world to become a better place, you know, we we want people to, uh, to understand what's going on. This is a shameless self plug here, but I, I wrote a book about this. It's due out in November. 
And I just examined the 20 different personality types that we're starting to see in the workplace. Things like you have the people pleaser, you have the nice bend over backwards style of management, and you also have the boxer, you have the micromanager, you have the Hulk. And it seems like people often shift into one camp or another, where they have a very soft style or they have a very hard style. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of middle ground there. There's not a lot of people who have been taught, it's okay to stand up for my interests. And it's also okay for me to, to listen to your interests. And I think that's really what we try to do in mediation is to help people figure out how to articulate what they want, but also how to hear what the other person wants. I'm sure you two get this question a lot from leaders. Uh, they're probably struggling with a couple of their employees who are battling conflict on a regular basis. But what are tips that you would give them to either manage their interpersonal relationships uh, when there's conflict bubbling up, avoiding it altogether, or you know, catching it before it goes downstream, really? Sure. Uh, there's a couple of things. Uh, kind of, I'll do this in the thou shalt nots and the thou shalt. <laughs> <I love it. laughs> you know, on the shalt nots, uh, ignoring the conflict is not a good strategy for management. Uh, sure, a lot of times people will butt heads, there'll be little kind of flare-ups, and, and most of those work themselves out. So you don't have to jump on every conflict, but by the time it gets to management, you're aware of it, other people are aware of it, that's one to start paying attention to. So just ignoring it, hoping it goes away is not a good strategy. Uh, another one we see is kind of a misstep is making decrees, just basically saying, you all need to get along, and stop fighting. <laughs> Easier said than done. Right, for management to just kind of make a decree like that, that you have to get along now, doesn't address the underlying concerns, the issues, the personalities involved, and it's just ineffective. I think another one we see a lot, uh, and we get kind of the aftermath of this, is the mass discipline. So you know it's George and, and Sally that aren't getting along with each other, but you go in and you do kind of a mass discipline of the whole team to deal with some of the issues that everybody knows is really those two people that are at odds with each other. So in our, our world, the saying is go towards the heat. Where's the conflict? And if the conflict's between those two individuals, then go in and work with those two to get their issues resolved rather than trying to pretend it's, it's, a, it's a group issue. So those are the things not to do. I think one of the things to do then is the inverse of those implied here. But one is to go towards the issue and the dynamic and focus on that. And the other is to try to figure out what is really at play here. What is the underlying concern you know, it goes all the way back to getting to, yes, the book from 50,000 years ago now that kind of started the conflict resolution field. But what are the people's underlying interests? It's as true today as it was back then. What are they really concerned about? What do they really need? And our job as good conflict resolvers and for management to be a good conflict resolver is to figure out what's the underlying need that these people have. Forget about the positions that they're taking, find out what their real needs are, and then try to develop an agreement and solutions that speak to their needs. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but by the time something reaches your desk, meaning you're you're helping a client, perhaps a manager with their employees work through a conflict, that means they probably tried something at some point and it's just not working. If you kind of look at all the cases that you've had over the last few years, what are some common reasons why they weren't able to solve it for themselves and it reaches your desk and where you're getting involved and trying to help them through um, some sort of resolution? I think what I often see is that managers are typically promoted because they were really good at their job, right? So then they were pushed into management, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they were given any management training or leadership skills, and which often means that they don't know how to resolve conflict with their employees. And so I often see managers that are nervous about resolving conflict, right? Because we're nervous about things that we don't understand. 
And if we don't have a clear process to know how to resolve something, then we tend to shy away from it. So I often see conflicts that could have been resolved in the office through through a couple of simple steps. For instance, people talk about managers need to have an open door policy. Absolutely. But when you walk into that open door, there needs to be two chairs. It can't just be one employee that comes in and vents and vents and vents at the manager and takes up all of their time. Instead, when somebody walks in with a complaint, whenever possible, I think the manager needs to invite the other person in there as well and see if we can have kind of a sharing of interest right then or a meeting of the minds, which, yeah, it is a little bit scary. But if there's a clear process for it and if the manager knows how to handle that conversation with both people, then I do think that a lot of those smaller conflicts can be dealt with in the moment. Are you seeing conflict often bubble up between two employees on the same team or is it manager employee? I'm, I'm curious what most of the cases are. Uh, we have a pretty good mix, frankly. I would say about, I haven't done a real analysis of this, but anecdotally, I would say about 50-50 in terms of our caseload. So 50 or peer-to-peer conflicts, but a large percentage, 50% or so, say, are across the hierarchy, so supervisors, employee type of conflict. And people are curious about that second half and think, well, what you can't really negotiate with your boss. Uh, but that's not true, of course. There's The boss can set parameters and say, within these parameters, you have to do these things. But inside of those parameters, there's lots of room for negotiation about how things are communicated, how it's delivered, timelines, all of that. There's a vast amounts that can be negotiated. So some of our most successful cases are in those relationships. When people are working through long-term conflict with, let's say, a colleague, let's just say it's a couple of employees, what do you think it takes to solve that conflict long-term? Is it a change in mindset, like being willing to step into the room and knowing that, like, hey, we're going to work together to, to get through this? Or is it a change in behavior and eventually it'll solve itself? When when we think about this, one, there's different ways to look at the outcome of a mediation, like a good conflict resolution process. Three different terms come to mind. Do we have a settlement? a resolution or a transformation. A settlement kind of implies a kind of a legalistic outcome that we've we've just kind of resolved the tangible problem, but it's not often enough. That's not really a, a full spectrum resolution. And that brings us to resolution. So resolution is more about the relationship and the work. So we really kind of try to focus on that in our work at Inaccord is to help people resolve the issues that they're kind of hung up with each other on but also develop a relationship and improve their communication. So that's what we aim for. Every once in a while, there's a transformation that takes place. And frankly, that's what keeps me mediating after 30 years <laughs> is uh, when people come in, they don't like each other when they started. But boy, at the end, there's just something that happened that's almost magical where they have shifted their perception so dramatically that uh, there's just a change in the in the room. And, you know, they might be crying and I'm trying to look like I'm not crying. But, you know, th those are very powerful. Anyway, so that that's a way of getting at what you're asking, uh, Brandon, in terms of the agreements and what we're what we're looking for. It's a change in mindset and a change in behavior. Both things are what we're aiming for. One last thing on this is I've told parties that you have this agreement. You've reached this 12-point agreement. I've written it down for you. You're about to sign it. But frankly, if you don't really feel this in your heart that you have changed, that you're going to follow through on this, then let's just rip this up right now. It's not worth writing down and signing if you don't really intend to follow it. And you might be worse off if you do that. So really, we want you to have a change of heart is what we aspire to. I think it's really important, too, to articulate the little victories along the way. Like, you know, if you're trying to be healthier and you need those little moments along the way, like, 
oh, my pants fit better. My back doesn't hurt. I'm getting a better sleep. Like, what do you know? This kale stuff is actually paying off. I think we need to be able to articulate that when we're resolving conflict as well. Like, what are the moments along the way where you know tomorrow is going to feel different than today? Like, when you see that they're calling you, are you going to feel more comfortable answering the phone? Are you going to return that email faster? When you're in the same room together, are you going to feel comfortable like you have something to say or are you going to come up with an excuse to run out the door? And if we can articulate those, and I love having check-in points whenever that's possible, like doing a check-in four weeks and eight weeks down the road um, to see how things are going and be able to name some of those little victories because that gives people motivation to, to continue to own their contribution and take responsibility for the conflict going forward and stay on the path that keeps them out of conflict. By the time you get the call from a leader, maybe it's an owner of a company, I, I don't know who primarily reaches out to you, but what are some of the questions that you know, a manager or leader could ask themselves before ever reaching out to you in the first place? Is like, I can't, there's nothing I can do to, to help this relationship. I, I just really need help. Like, what are, what are some of those things that come up for you that people can ask themselves before they actually reach out and, and get your help? So... We say there's three kinds of conflicts that we help fix it in accord. And one is high level. So if the management is dealing with a conflict among their peers or with the owners or the board members or the CEO, you know, those conflicts are often too sensitive to deal with internally. So that might be one criteria. Another one is just how high stakes is it? Are these two key people within the organization? And if they go, if they derailed with each other and one of them leaves the organization, is that going to devastate the organization and what they're trying to accomplish? Or if it's highly disruptive, it would be the third quality. So just kind of looking at it through that prism is how important is this conflict? And they usually know that before they reach out to us. The other question is, have they tried to address it already? So it's always useful to have tried something internally, coaching, talking to people, doing that two chairs approach that Claire mentioned with the manager, having people come in and work together to try to work it out. So we want them to have tried to work it out before they reach out to in accord. And one last thing here is that we want them to consider, you know, what is plan B? If this doesn't get worked out, do they have an attractive option? Is plan B a good thing? Like they really do want to get rid of employee X or what or Y. <laughs> and so just kind of let them implode. Uh, but if they really do want to preserve the relationship, uh, keep the employee and they want it to get worked out, then reaching out to us can be very effective. Absolutely. I think it definitely, like think of any fix it project around your house. You know, if it's something simple, like changing a light bulb, you can do that yourself. But if it's something like reinstalling countertops, you know, you try to do that on your own and then you realize, well, I've made a huge mess of this. <laughs> I would have saved so much time and money if I had just brought in a professional. They could have walked me through it. We get this solved the right way without making a bigger mess in the process. Yeah, well said. Well, Chris and Claire, I, I really appreciate you two joining the Transform Your Workplace podcast and shedding light on uh, how you might go about a, a conflict resolution or mediation process and uh, just value your your time and your expertise. So thanks for coming on. Anything that you want to leave listeners with uh, in parting or even just point people to uh, what you're up to or anything like that? Sure. Well, I appreciate the chance to talk to you, Brandon. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Claire, too, to join us and uh, have this conversation together. I think that one of the things we often, one of the reactions I often have when I get the call um, is, boy, I wish they'd called me two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and because uh, it's just the conflict unresolved uh, can become disruptive and that there's a conflict spiral. You can't get out of, for example, you can't get out of a basic conflict resolution training and not hear the term conflict spiral. 
And it's this idea that it, it builds on itself. There's, a, there's an action and a reaction, and things tend to spiral and get bigger over time. And so that dynamic can really derail people. And we're hopeful, and I think part of my social mission in the last 30 years of my career has just been to help people realize conflict isn't so scary. It can be worked out, but if you let it go too long, then it gets more challenging and can become destructive. So that's my takeaway on that. <laughs> and where can people connect with you too? Oh, sure. We have a website, www.inaccordnw.com. So inaccordnorthwest.com is really the primary place to come and get connected with us. Awesome. And Claire, you said you had a book coming out soon. When is that? Hoping for Thanksgiving. Yep. Working through conflict. Awesome. All right. Might have to have you back for that one. I would love it. Thank you. <laughs> this has been an honor. My guests today have been Chris Sheasley and Claire Fowler. Thank you for being part of the show. Appreciate it. <laughs>